Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, Jeremy Scheinwald here with another Smart People Should Build Things Venture for America podcast. Follow me on this digression for a minute here, okay? We've had a few crazy coincidences on this show. A few weeks back, I interviewed Sarah Kaus of Swell. Uh, I actually slowly figured out through my research that I interned with her in 2002. That's a long time ago. Um, and I hadn't seen her in 14 years until the show began. Um, last year, I interviewed Danielle Dankner of Ash and Dan's. I had met her literally swimming in the Mediterranean a few weeks before she came on the show. Had no idea that she'd be on the, on the show a few weeks later, of course. Anyway, this morning, I was biking up towards the GW Bridge and was worrying about whether I'd get back in time for the podcast when I was gently tapped by a 2004 Camry, which was turning to park. Fortunately, I didn't end up under the car. I walked it off, and I'm fine, as is my bike. But why am I telling you all this? No, today's guest, Meg Daly, was not driving the car this morning. Uh, however, she was in a bike accident a few years back where she broke both of her arms, and while that isn't a lot of fun, it led her to start Miami's Underline, uh, which is a urban park. Uh, it'll become a 10-mile bike trail under the city's metro rail line, and part of it is civic beautification, and part of it is creating a safe space for bikers, which is now something I appreciate even more. Meg is a media and marketing entrepreneur, where she, she spent more than a decade um, uh, at her own firm before launching the $120 million initiative to revitalize this metro rail corridor, a task that depends on a dizzying array of skills from fundraising and lobbying to engaging architects, running feasibility studies, and more. In some ways, she started bootstrapping this project, and it caught fire with government officials and Miami boosters, philanthropists, and more. Now the underline is a movement and groundbreaking on the first mile is in the not-so-distant future. It is a very different story, one that shows uh, what a determined citizen can, can do to impact a community and help revitalize a community for all. It's a message which dovetails beautifully with Venture for America, which is also helping to revitalize Miami and other U.S. cities, including Detroit, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Cleveland, and more. Venture for America is a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launched their careers as entrepreneurs. After five weeks of training, Venture for America fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America and support our work, you can visit VentureForAmerica.org. And please, if you are enjoying the show, and only if you're enjoying the show, but if you're not, why are you listening? Like us on iTunes and make sure you're subscribing on iTunes as well. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeremy Scheinwald, and friend me on LinkedIn. Um, always happy to help out some fellow entrepreneurs, and I've actually done that. A couple of people since I started the show have reached out to me, and I've been trying to give them a little bit of help. Um, anyway, before we get to the show, I do want to take a minute and uh, thank our sponsor. Um, support for Smart People Should Build Things is brought to you by Wix.com. A great web presence is essential to running a successful business, as I'm sure you know. If you have a new idea or just need to upgrade your website, check out Wix.com. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy worrying about your budget, busy scheduling appointments, busy, uh, probably just a little too busy to build that website. And because you're so busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and best yet, it's free. Millions of entrepreneurs create their own professional websites using Wix.com, and the results are stunning. Wix gives you access to hundreds of customizable templates and easy drag-and-drop tools you can get up and running today. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account. No credit card required. It's easy, and the result is stunning. Go to Wix.com today. And now, here is our interview with Meg Daly. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. 
Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So, Meg, thanks so much for, for being here and for squeezing us into your busy schedule here in New York. I would come to New York to meet with you anytime. Well, you said we caught you on a good day. I, I, you know, you're, you're, full of, you're full of life. Why don't you tell us why you, why you were here to start? Well, I was invited, you know, much to my surprise, to be included at the table with some of the most um, visionary people, leading initiatives of industrial reuse, creating parks out of infrastructure, basically. And first of all, I was really surprised that I was invited, and then I felt like I had to pinch myself that I was sitting at the table with the visionaries and founders of the High Line, the 606 in Chicago, the Atlanta Beltline, obviously, in Atlanta, and other projects, um, a number of them in Texas. Uh, there's um, two in Dallas. There's the Clyde Warren Park. There's the Trinity uh, River Park. There's also a really cool initiative in L.A. to recover and restore um, a 51-mile segment of the L.A. River. Did you know they have a river? I didn't know that. Now I, we I know haven't that. spent that much time in LA, but I didn't know they had a river. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it was it was inspirational. Wow, well, I'm glad we caught you uh, caught you with, with so much excitement. I guess why don't we why don't we look back to mm-hmm. to look forward um, and talk about the the beginning of this of this uh, this endeavor, which is a pretty fascinating bootstrapped endeavor. And let's talk about that too. But you know, so many. Entrepreneurial endeavors are are born from pain points, and in your case, uh, the case of of the underline, that pain was actually like real physical pain. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> is is it fair to say that that the the underline was born from from uh, from two broken arms? That is absolutely true, and as my husband says, who's from Puerto Rico, no hay mal por bien no venga, which means out of every bad comes good, mm. and. Um, so I had a bike accident, and I fell and landed in a perfect plank, which broke both of my elbows. And um, so after getting over the moment of, oh, my gosh, I can't do anything for myself, and, and, and then actually going to physical therapy for two months, I ended up taking our metro rail, which is our above-ground uh, train, and I went to physical therapy. So I took the train from the University of Miami station down to an area called Coconut Grove and then walked below the train tracks. July, so I'm thinking I'm going to be really hot, doesn't matter what time of day it is. So I had this unnatural shade. I also noticed that I was the only person out there walking at that time in the moment, and there was a hundred feet wide, which is almost four times the width of the high line here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why aren't we doing something with this land? And so that was that moment of inspiration of we need to do something with it. And by the way, who owns this land? And why aren't we sort of creating something special and a unique asset for our community? But like, you're you have this moment, this epiphany, where <laughs> where clearly like this space has to be used. Right. But like, it's like a massive, massive public work project and a public works project. And you know, I mean, I'm just you know, I I don't mean, mean mean to be a naysayer because obviously you're doing mm-hmm. it and it's amazing. But it's a, it's such a huge. The scope of this project is so massive, and and your background is in digital marketing or media and marketing at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, how long did it take for? Was it like that moment you're like, I'm doing this? Or was it like, I'm going to have to think about this for a while, kick it around? Um, well, it's a really, it's a great question because, well, first of all, I am totally unqualified to do what I'm doing. And so if anybody <laughs> wants to get excited and inspired, um, then they should go after whatever their inspiration and passion is. Um, but secondly, um, I love parks. And I, I was never educated in parks. It's just sort of like this gut, visceral thing. I don't care if I'm in London or if I'm in Italy or if I'm in New York. I literally put my walking shoes on and I can, like a dog, I can sniff out <laughs> the green. And, and I didn't really understand that that passion could be transferred into delivery of vision. So as a marketer, the one thing I know how to do is talk. And so I call this my crazy idea. And there was nothing scientific, no focus groups. I would just go to cocktail parties and talk up my crazy idea. And, you know, in marketing, and, you know, because you're an entrepreneur, you're used to 90% of people telling you, no way. That's like, you can't do that. Right. 
But 90% of people were saying, that's a great idea. And so that was, that was really what propelled me forward. And then I had a couple of lucky moments that I ended up in front of the right people. Um, the head of um, planning for Miami-Dade County Park System, someone was like, you need to go talk to her. So totally embraced the idea. And in fact, this is something that they've wanted to do, but never had the bandwidth and didn't have a local champion. So I have gotten help. Um, and it was also because I asked for help. So to take on a project of this scope, you have to know how to ask for help and, and let people sort of jump in and be part of your groundswell. And it's interesting, like we talked about this a little bit before the show. This is really like a, this is really a bootstrapped startup um, mm-hmm. taking on a hundred and twenty million dollar project. Like it's you. There's one other person in your office. It's not even an office. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I have one. I have one employee. You have one and employee. I okay. have myself, and then but we now ha- we started with. You know, I think it's always better to start small and be nimble, and and just dream big. And, you know, in Miami, so just to give you a little bit of the, of the context, uh, Miami-Dade County is one of the most dangerous places to walk and bike in the country. And you said you were clipped this morning on your clipped bike. Clipped this morning, yeah. And, but that, yeah. those occurrences in Miami often occur with death. And so we have an... Just inf- for the record, I'm not dead. <laughs> you are not dead. Not you sound good for being yeah. dead. Um, and... Um, and so we want to be we want to be a solution for that. And the only way we can solve a countywide problem it was with very big interventions. And so when we when we took this to the political realm, because this is a this is county owned land, we have 13 commissioners as well as one mayor. One after one after one, they said, "This is something that makes sense." It's green space. It's health impact. There's an economic impact story. It's bicycle and pedestrian safety. It's utility of sort of a dead asset below Metro Rail. And so sort of like, wow, how often do you bat a thousand, right? Right. And so that was good. And then the same thing from the public. I mean, everybody's, you know, sort of clamoring for better facilities for us to walk and bike again and not be completely dependent on our car. Um, so that's the landscape, and that's what I walked into. So when you start, you start this in 2014. Mm-hmm. Or the idea came to you in 2014. It's it's like I guess if I were starting a business right now, I would I'd be like, okay, I'm 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 moving on this. It's within me to to make this happen. But with, what you're doing is just by the nature of the project is so dependent on commissioners, politicians, yeah. other people who own the land. Like, how long did it take before you realized like this is this is for real? Like this is really. This isn't just something that I'm like proposing and, you know, fundraising for or whatever you're doing at the earliest stages. But like, I think we're actually like, what was the indicator? Like, we're actually going to do this, right? Um, yeah, I think that we have an issue in in Miami-Dade County and maybe really in government in general is there's a lot of planning and very little implementation. And so, why would we? you know, put the expense and effort into this beautiful master plan. We worked with James Corner Field Operations, who also did the High Line. They're based here in New York. And, you know, it was what happened is, and there is no roadmap, there is no playbook like a startup that tells you what to do. Maybe you know you have to get some seed capital. You know, you have a good idea. How do you get your first customer? For a project like this, there really is no critical path. So we knew we had no money. We knew we had a great idea. And so we went to a university. And at the university, the School of Architecture, they took us on as a pro bono um, studio class. Um, At the same time, um, there was an issue with the corridor. It's a, just so everybody knows, it's a 10-mile corridor going from our downtown to the the southern end of our our urban core. And um, within this 100-foot right-of-way, um, Florida Power and Light had been approved to also put up 125-foot poles. Those poles are 10 stories high. And so the public was like, wait, how did that happen? And so a number of the municipalities that we run alongside were resisting this through um, legal means. And they said, 
but now we have this project that everybody's excited about. So the underline sort of became a legal green shield. Like all of those things that you have approved in the past on this dead space is now gonna be an activated green space. So whoa, stop what you're doing. So suddenly, all the th- people are like, oh, you need to get an endorsement from the city of Miami. And I'm like, yeah, sure, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, you get a resolution and you get a sponsor. I'm like, great, how do you do that? I had a lot of people telling me what to do and me having no idea how to do it. And they were sort of like driving me through this political process and I would just go do it. Right. So, so that's the bootstrap part. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the path is just emerging. It's just like a, a very logical, uh, just a very logical path, and, and you're sort of being shepherded along because people are so excited about it. Was, was there was there any, you know, as they say, NIMBY? Was there any not in my backyard? Did anyone say like, this is just you know, go do this somewhere else? Or I, I, was there any opposition to this? To draw a picture with words, just so you know what this looks like. By the way, our website is theunderline.org, and you can see them. Um, <laughs> Uh, most of the corridor it runs parallel to a major arterial, which is called US-1, which is a, a federal road. It's, it operates at two times capacity. Um, and then so this, so when it runs below transit next to this major arterial, and then it backs up to everything from single family residential to commercial. Um, so this is still, in a, it's in a very sort of working functional space. Um, and the people who back up to it have put fences up because it's not it's not lit it's not safe um, there is a homeless population it's it's not um, used very well and it's not activated so what happens is and we've seen it throughout the country is when you put a beautiful green space in to these backyards that are fenced off they take their wall down because guess what they just got a new backyard or new front yard that didn't exist there before so they sort of they attach to the amenity and become part of it and and i would like to say that really precedent from other great projects throughout the not just this country throughout the world have really greased the wheels for us. So, you know, we have we have really good stories to tell. So the NIMBY phenomenon has really been limited. Um, and, and that's surprising, you know, because this is unknown. Um, politically, it's, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen um, in the, at the county commission when we were endorsed. It was co-sponsored by every commissioner and it was unanimous. I think the last time that happened was when Mother Teresa came into Miami. <laughs> and I'm being serious. Um, you know, so, I, and I think that we're at a special place in time that we're open to change, you know, because Miami has developed so quickly and we have these beautiful assets. We're bounded by water at Biscayne Bay as well as by the Everglades. And we now have this return to the city. And so that city is being built without a plan for parks. And everybody's like, we don't have a land acquisition cost here. So they see the benefit. I'm trying to think of who, the, I'd like to find the guy, the, the county commissioner who's, who's saying, not in my backyard, Mother Teresa, get out of here. <laughs> uh, so I, the, only, the only group I could possibly think of, I was like, who would be opposed to this? Because there's always some group that's opposed to it. I was like, maybe parents are worried about like bikers whizzing by their, I don't know. But, but I, it, seems like, it seems like no one is, so why am I even, well, why am I even mentioning no, it? No, let me, and to your point, um, we had public meetings. And so we had, just be, before we ever put pencil to paper with the design team, um, we had three public meetings, and so along 10 miles, it was like basically every three miles, we would pick a site that was free, that was accessible by transit and walking and biking, and could hold 150 people. We literally rolled out big sheets of paper and had people take up Sharpies and tell us what they want, and and then we compiled that information. We did surveys. We accosted people at supermarkets where you fill out this survey. We had m- so many public events so that people could come out and really see that our intentions were good. You know, we don't have a financial um, opportunity here. This is really sort of for the good for the community. People are concerned about crossing the streets. Every intersection along this corridor is really designed for a car and not for me to walk or bike. And so we, one of the reasons our cost is a 120 million is because a lot of that is for crosswalk interventions. Which, which are aggressive, um, may slightly slow traffic, but will definitely improve mortality statistics. So it, we've heard people, 
we and they say those things like what about getting across the street you know what about how are you going to separate you know us one from the corridor and you know we asked them what they wanted and i thought oh it's miami they're all going to want a big wall <laughs> like a berlin wall or something 87 percent of people said they wanted a vegetative wall so they want more green hmm. they want us to use native landscaping they want us to design for sustainability, you know, so we have storm water retention. We have runoff so we can take gray water if and where we need to irrigate, which is very limited. Uh, we want to use solar. Uh, we want to use LED lighting. Um, you know, so it's really, I think, a technological opportunity of how to bring great ideas into cities and make them more sustainable while you're building out this infrastructure. I think you just answered my next question, but my next question really revolved around like, yeah, what do you, what did you learn from this project that you did, that, from the, the process of public consultation that you that you didn't know prior to that? How was that? How was that informed and changed the design? Well, actually, you know, let's just work from the baseline that I know nothing. Okay. And I had never been to a public meeting. I had never been to um, a commission meeting in my life. And then I had to run them, and. I had a lot of help from the, the Parks Department because they run them all the time. But we were the facilitators, friends, friends of the underline put on every public meeting. And you know what? We really, we took it very seriously because I'm a citizen. Why should we go into a vacuum, an ivory tower, and design without information, right? And so our second set of public meetings, we took back what the community wanted. They wanted dog parks. They want playgrounds that are safe. They want um, great crosswalk and street connections. Um, they want to be able to work, live, play, right, near transit, which is a new phenomenon for us in, in Miami. We're just embarking on some, on some real transit-oriented development. Um, they had crazy ideas. They want public art. They want water fountains. They want benches. <laughs> you know, they want a lot, right, because we have nothing like this in Miami. And so that's, that's really how we sort of cultivated the Linear Park Urban Trail and Living Art Destination. And because people told us what they wanted, and we just articulated that. So, so obviously everyone's like getting behind this, and people are excited, citizens are excited. And then there's a big question, which is, who's going to pay for it all? Are they excited about it when you, when, when you say to them, and you could be picking up part of the bill or the state or the city? How, how are you planning? It's a $120 million mm -hmm. project that you see, you know, hopefully hopefully developing as fast as possible. And we'll, we can talk about the speed at which it, it, it is developing. Sure. But, you know, what 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 what, what uh, part of the, I don't want to call it a burden because I think, I think it's a great thing. Right. But, you know, the financial burden, at least, is being borne by, by citizens. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by you personally. Then. Yeah, I'm writing a big check. Um, you know, by the way, I do this full time for free. Um, and this is my opportunity to give back to a city that's given m me and my family a lot. Um, so yeah, so looking at the price tag, I was like, so this is what's going to cost to do all the things that people want. And did you, sorry, did you have a clue? Like when when someone finished this like feasibility study or whatever, whatever wherever you get the price tag, were you like in your head like, okay, it's going to be I don't know, ten million dollars, and listen, they were like. It's $120 million. You're like, oh my God. Like, like, tell me about that moment. And well, then we can go back. So I'd I love to interrupt. And, I mentioned and, to uh, you that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Questions. I came, yeah. my, I had my own marketing firm for years. And I, I, I believe in numbers. And, you know, numbers tell you the truth. So you may have a dream, but it has to be deliverable. And um, so what did I do? We took that number. We sort of it knew it might end up in that range. It was a little bit higher than we expected. And we tested it against other projects that have been implemented. And the Atlanta Beltline, which is a 22-mile loop that includes mass transit and trail, I mean, their trail component is 14 million a mile. So our 12 million a mile, oh, that's kind of close. Mm -hmm. The Indianapolis Cultural Trail, very close. So we're really in that sweet spot of, um, of trail amenities. Um, but what goes into that is we're actually some of those projects are 25 feet wide. Um, we're 100 feet wide. So somehow we're sort of actually getting value at this yeah. very high price tag. But it includes two trails, one for pedestrians, one for bicyclists, separated. It's the best safety condition. Um, all of those, you know, cool things that make it usable. Lighting. I mean, some of these par some of these trails are being built without lighting. We're getting transportation dollars, so this has to be a 24/7, 365. Okay, so that's what the product is. Got it. We value engineered it, try to figure out where we can not cut corners, but 
you know, make sure that we've really looked at it with an intelligent eye. Um, so we broke it down into pieces. And so when you look at things in phases, it's that they're more digestible nuggets. So the first phase that we have, and we're fully funded for the first phase, is seven and a half million. And that does out that's all public money. We've raised an additional one and a half million privately. Um, the seven and a half million, and this is a very interesting thing, and I think unique to these types of projects, that there is absolutely no one funding source. You can't go knock on the door of DOT, I'm building a road, and I know you have funding for roads. So we have transportation dollars, we have municipal dollars, we have over $3 million from the county from road impact fees. They've never designated road impact fees for building trails. Um, and then we have another, um, you see, so it's three, two from the state, which is also transportation dollars. And then we have a grant from the Knight Foundation for our outdoor gym at Brickell. Um, and then we just got another um, private donation from Swire Properties. Um, they're building a five-block, one over-billion-dollar project, which directly abuts the corridor. So they just gave us our first large donation mm. from the private sector of $600,000. Does that include, I mean, are, is there a, a cost of acquisition of land? Or is it just, are they just no. saying, like, no, here you go, use it, it's all there, and, <laughs> why and not? honestly, that's usually the deal-breaker, right? you know, because any rails-to-trails project, um, it's still owned by the rail. Right. And, and, you know, so they have certain, can, they can really set their price. It's not competitive. And so since it's all owned by the county, um, and that happened in the 80s to build Metro Rail, um, it was purchased with 80% federal dollars, 10% state, and 10% county at that time. So here's my layers of who I, we report to. Um, we have the county is our, our first agency that we report to because they own the land. And so that's set up by the mayor and 13 commissioners. But we also front three municipalities, City of Miami, Coral Gables, and South Miami, all with their own governance um, structures. But we also have to report to the state because we now have state dollars. And it's, this is all managed by FTA, which is Federal Transit Authority. So I live with a lot of acronyms. I, I mean, I'm not like I'm a I'm not an anti-government kind of person, but I I am an anti-bureaucracy kind of person. Yeah. And I, I just I think that I would have given up as soon as I realized how many agencies were involved. Like I I, I couldn't imagine trying to navigate and get all the approvals, and it it just it must require so much stamina to go through all that, and then things can occasionally mm-hmm. just flip the other way. So like I, I when do my research. There was supposed to be two million dollars in 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 in, um, in state funding for this project, mm-hmm. and then the governor vetoed two million dollars in state funding. He ultimately came around and, and agreed to it again, but a year I later, mean, a year later, yeah. So, like, what kind of? I mean, just tell me about that process. Like, what kind of what kind of impact does that have on the project? We're like, okay, we're expecting two million dollars. We don't get it. We're like, yeah, we know it's just politics. He'll come around, or was it like we got to start looking somewhere else? Take us through like that. That little, that significant battleground. Well, our strategy was to not put all of our eggs in one basket because there is no singular funding source. So while we were working at the state level, hopping on very expensive flights to Tallahassee, American Airlines, you need to work on that. Um, You know, $500 to fly to Tallahassee and then to walk the halls and, you know, sort of say we had a very, again, um, last year, when we went to Tallahassee, we have something called the Dade Delegation, which is our legislature. And, I mean, our legislative representatives, no one had heard about the underline. And they're mm. like, oh, but you need to be a Dade Delegation priority. I'm like, really? How do you do that? <laughs> You're getting it, right? I do a lot of that. <laughs> and um, we literally put roller skates on and went to everyone, knocked on every door. We were the only priority that was written in in pencil and then highlighted. Everybody else had been typed <laughs> up. Um, and that's how we got that that appropriation, which the governor vetoed. But you know what? We really didn't even blink because at the same time we were working on county funding, municipal park impact fees. Uh, we were working on all sorts of strategies. I mean, you have to have lots of balls in the air and management, and you sort of get, I get knocked down, I get back up again because you have to go to work the next day and try to get that next buck. Um, so... Why did the governor come around this year? Why did, he, why did he veto it in the first place? What was he claiming? Just, just I don't want to spend the money? This is. It really got political. Yeah. You know, we were just part of a large basket that was vetoed. Um, 
it'll take up too much fun time talking about okay. other things. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then why did he come around? Again, that's or, a little bit of a or, mystery. Or did, he, did he come around with with all these other projects? Or was it just like boom, where the the underline is worth it. We're 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 appropriating this. Well, there were two. There's really two significant trail initiatives in Miami Dade County right now. It's hmm. the underline as well as another trail initiative. Trail initiative called Ludlam Trail. And both were vetoed. You know, mm. so misery loves company. Mm. And um, the next year, we were both approved. And so we're all sort of scratching our heads. How did that happen? But we did have really, really strong support from our legislator, legislature, legislators. They really went on a limb on for us. Who knows what went on in the back room? I don't have Smoky to know. <laughs> you need a website, why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, you can get your website live today. It's simple to customize. Don't know how to code? No problem. There's no coding needed. Wix has something for everyone with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. If you're not a coder, it's not a problem. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Go to Wix.com. Dot com. That's W-I-X dot com today. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So, I mean, we talked about the cost, but let's talk about the impact, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you've done all these studies. What do you predict the impact of, of the park will be, I guess, you know, beyond just obviously having lots of happy people riding their bikes, but, you know, financially and, and, and beyond. Well, just to, I think, to frame, you know, the impact, there's definitely positive impacts, but there's probably some unforeseen, you know, negative ones. I don't know what they are, um, but the positive ones that you have to really focus on are economic, um, and those are really fall into real estate value appreciation. So anyone who lives directly or has property directly adjacent to this corridor, they'll see an immediate 25% increase in their property value. Then we have a very large have, impact Have people been, been buying up houses along this already? Is, is that, is that already going on? There's actually $3 billion of planned development. Um, much of it was dormant, um, that sort of waiting for maybe some good news to happen. And now it's sort of like, yeah, we're building to the underline. Um, developments are saying next to the future underline, you know, so, you know, you sort of let the market take care of that for you. Um, And so we're really looking at producing close to $800 million of increased real estate value over a period of 20 years, which will produce $400 million in additional tax revenues. So in terms of return on investment, um, real estate value, incremental tax increases, job creation, and our job uh, creation, um, the projections really are on the corridor only. I mean, things are just going to explode alongside. I mean, we've seen it happen in, in so many other places. So I think our really our projections are actually pretty conservative. And we work with a team here locally called HRNA, and they do basically all the park projections. But business aside, you know, we also have like 50% of our residents don't even get 20 minutes of exercise a day. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get walk from your apartment here to the train, get on the train, down the stairs, you can actually satisfy 20 minutes of mobility a day, right? We don't get that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's really, there's a lot of excitement about what this can do for getting people moving again without going to the gym. Uh, We directly front a major hospital. South Miami Hospital's right on the corridor, and they're actually contemplating building out on their own property a park that they would make public during the day. So this is this whole thing like, wow, we're actually expanding our fabric. And so we have this sort of this halo zone where other good things are happening. And then, you know, there's this sort of like connectivity, you know, creating, taking a space and turning it into a place. Right now, you just sort of walk through the, the, the brickle exit. You don't, you don't ever look at it as a destination. But if you create a beautiful amenity there, you now have this dead space that's now a place that people can connect in an urban context. And that's new for us, too. Can you compare and contrast you know, running a, a, a nonprofit, <coughs> nonprofit organization um, with running your own business? You know, 12 years, I think it was 12 years, as, mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur on your own. Um, 
you know, is is this in in some ways you're answerable to yourself in your own business. I mean, you're still answerable to yourself here, but you've got so many other stakeholders here. You know, how how have you found how have you, how have you found the contrast? You know, explain the contrast that you've experienced so far. Well, first I can say there's a lot that's transferable. Um, one of the things I know how to do is really drive process, and I think that a good business person, you know, knows how to say, okay, there's like 14 doors. I'm going to figure out the one to go through, and I'm going to go there fast. And and I think that that's really helped our speed of delivery instead of going, oh, my God, I'm so, I don't know, I'm timid, 14 doors, you know. So you really have to make decisions quickly and go for them and seize opportunities. Um, the other thing is marketing skills. You know, I'm not an architect. I'm not an urban planner. But I can hire, we can hire that talent. A lot of urban planners and architects aren't natural marketers, you know, so I think that that's beneficial to our project. Um, I had to get very comfortable with laying out financials, you know, because when it's your own business, you don't have to tell anybody what your P&L and your balance sheet looks like or anything else. And 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 I, the other thing that I would tell anyone listening, if you want to do a project of the scope, you better learn how to be uncomfortable, be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I had to learn that really early. Transparency in everything because this is really a public project and so that private sector hat had to come off and I had to say you know everything I know is now yours are you working harder on this than you did in your own business is that you're working about the same level um boy uh, I get up every morning and I about 6 30 I roll out of bed have a cafe con leche and I start working at seven in the morning and then there's a lot of people who say did you really email me at three in the morning? So I wake up a lot of nights and I work at night. Um, I am working really hard. But you know what's really the treasure of this? And I, and I think I'm getting more back than I'm giving because I have met the most remarkable people. I met you. I wouldn't have met you, right? Uh, that is true. I, 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 I plan on visiting you and getting a tour of the, uh, you're gonna of the, get of the, of the you space know, sometime soon. My world you know, was sort of like, because my husband and I had retired. He sold his business, and I'm in a, um, the enviable place that I don't have to get a salary. Um, and so, but we, we bought a house, we renovated a house, we talked about our dog a lot. Our kids had gone to college. They now both live here in New York. Hi, Sean. Hi, Alex. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I had this moment that I was like, I can do this. And so, you know, my father, my mother... You know, they're they're great philanthropists. When I was a kid, if I didn't come back with 100 petitions signed, I didn't get a bologna sandwich. <laughs> so somewhere in my DNA, there was like a, you have to give back. So this has been sort of, I've been, you know, pushing it down, doing my business, taking care of our kids. So I feel really happy and excited every day, and I feel very young. I, I always say that, like, to be an entrepreneur, you don't just need an idea or money, uh, oftentimes people underestimate the amount of support you need and encouragement yeah. that you need from other people. And it sounds like you've gotten it in, in, all, in, in a variety of different places. But was your family on board with this right away? Or were they like mom or, you know, honey or whatever it is, whatever <laughs> you guys call each other, uh, you know, uh, you're nuts. Well, I felt like I was nuts. I mean, I called this, you know, the crazy project. <laughs> um, it's, uh, But I think that, you know, if you sort of have... I think crazy is good. A little bit of crazy is good, right? Because that's really where innovation comes from and I think opportunity. And if we live within our own bandwidth every day, you know, we're not breaking out, we're not giving back, and we're certainly not challenging ourselves. I did say that I feel young and that's, and I'm 55 years old. And if anybody wants to know, this project needs to be done within six because I'm counting on having grandchildren. <laughs> so, so, yeah, a little bit of crazy, but I had enough people saying it was good and crazy. Right. And, and so with all of that sort of like patting on the back, it was this all this positive reinforcement that let me go out there and be crazy every day. Um, but we were crazy enough that the University of Miami invested three design studios, probably $200,000 worth of pro bono time. Um, Hogan Lovells, which happens to also be in New York, Washington, and Miami, have donated all of our legal time. I love my attorneys. Oh, this is another good, good comparison. I really didn't have any legal issues when I was in business. Um, didn't have to call my attorney for advice. I talk to attorneys all the time. 
the, back to playbook. There is no off-the-shelf um, articles of incorporation, right, that you can get from some legal doc site. Everything we've written is original. You know, everything from our MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, um, with the county, with the municipalities, with whomever. So, you know, that is that is very different. This is a very, this is a legal platform where we're building a park on top of county-owned land. So the law has to be in line. Um, just, yeah, I love being crazy. <laughs> the, we talked a lot about how, how quickly moving, uh, of moving this entire project is and I think that I think that you know I read a whole bunch of, of uh, I don't know how this is measured but it was like this is the fastest moving mm-hmm. you know civic work or what a public work um, is there anything could, that could allow this I mean aside from you know uh, uh, politicians acting faster or something like that but is there, is there anything that, that 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 where you feel like you know that could have allowed this to move faster or maybe where you, there was a misstep where you're like oh if I would have known that I could have done that a little differently at this point um you know, just coming out of this meetings today, the, uh, in the past couple of days at Friends of the High Line, um, I, you know, there was so much intel on the table that I wish I had known two years ago. Um, there's a lot of very interesting um, financing models, which you capture some of the value that you create, where you're going to say, oh, we're spinning off all this new tax revenue. Hey, you know, make sure that you include us when you're when you're when you're when it goes into your coffers that a little bit goes back to us you know so for maintenance and ongoing operations um I, but i have to tell you i think that between our small nimble group and the good guidance that we've gotten we've mined just about every opportunity that we could going forward i think it's going to take even more creativity so we have this onion this layered approach to funding so you don't go home and cry when you get vetoed by the governor you sort of applaud wow but we did get county funding we're going to have to probably get you know a substantial infusion from some sort of larger transportation component which by the way i have a very interesting question for you would why i like you, to sponsor this why do you personally? Yeah, yeah. why do you think we call walking and biking alternative transportation when we walked and biked before we drove? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Is that rhetorical? <laughs> I think you're going, I think it's rhetorical. That's where I'm going with that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> the, you talked about the six years, you want to be a grandparent. I'm not sure I can help you with that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like similar project, projects have taken about a decade to mm-hmm. complete. We still have what, I mean, does the clock start? Is that a decade from conception is that decade from from like shovel in the ground our, our um, we are starting with january 2014 when we incorporated as a nonprofit. okay so from that date to today we have raised seven and a half half million dollars of public funding a million and a half privately we have completed in record time a master plan for 10 miles um, economic impact study maintenance and management agreement with the county lots of legal documents um, 4,000 Facebook followers, 1,000 volunteers, a board of 17 with 60 with um, 60 subcommittee members. Um, so yeah, I think we're moving really fast. Plus, by the time we get a shovel in the ground in the fall of 2017, that'll be less than three years from the date that we incorporated. And with that shovel in the ground, we will be the fasted, fastest implemented project of its scope ever. Do you see yourself as a, as a builder exclusively of this? Like when, when it's finally, you know, quote unquote, done, mm-hmm. do you see yourself as the, you know, six years from now, hopefully it's, it's all done and mm-hmm. I can ride my bike 10 miles and enjoy it. But do you see yourself as, as, as maintaining a role forever as the, as the administrator and CEO? Or is it something that you're like, oh, I don't know, we'll cross the bridge when we get to it? I think what what we've seen in other incidents is that you know someone who's more qualified you know steps in and really takes over, okay. um, and I make no bones about my lack of qualifications. Um, I also hope that you know Meg Daly disappears, because that means that the village really would have stepped up, and that village will have helped build this. And so, you have less of this one voice and one name. You have. This is, and this will take a village to build. You know, we have lots of naming opportunities. You know, we have lots of parks to build and lots of names that need to be associated with this other than mine. Um, but I do want to say one thing before I forget. You know, the 10 mile stretch is a massive project and it's really just with the definitions of 10 miles, but we have a lot more work to do. We have to connect over the river and that will get us directly into downtown. 
then we'll be going through an underserved population called um, Overtown, which when then go through there, then you're in the design district, Wynwood, some of the hottest, coolest areas in town. We're only two miles from there. We connect to another project called the Miami River Greenway. That'll get you to the airport. You know, so we're really looking at how to make this a countywide initiative and get those connections right so all the hoses hook up in the right places and those things can take off coincidental to what we're doing. So we were talking about, you know, all the connections of, of the, uh, you know, of the, of the underlying. And you mentioned earlier that there's another um, somewhat similar project. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the name. The name Ludlam of Trail. Ludlam Trail. There mm-hmm. you go. Where I we mean, connect. Is there, I mean, is there... I don't mean explicit, like mean-spirited competition, but I mean, is there a spirit of, co- of competition between these two projects in that, like, you're competing for the same public dollars, um, you know, share of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of heart in, in, the, in right. the community, et cetera? Well, and there's only so many buckets of funding, right? right? Um, but that doesn't mean that two can't prevail. Um, and I think that Miami has so much need being one of the most dangerous places to walk and bike in the country. Um, I think we can build the argument that our 10 miles plus their six is 16 miles now of connectivity. And I think that that further drives that big vision that we so badly need. Um, they're in a land acquisition mode, which is you know sort of a, sort of a different place because we're in a construction mode. Um, but I have to tell you that since the underline came around, I mean, it's like now all these great ideas are sort of coming out of the closet and we have a couple of um, foundations that are helping to drive that. One is the Miami Foundation and they lead coming something called the Public Space Challenge. So like 500 people are coming up with their great ideas of how to create public spaces from, you know, everything from bus benches to their corner park. Um, and then the Knight Foundation, um, and we're based in Miami, as is Knight, so this is their hometown, and they really have three initiatives. One is journalism, obviously they were born from that, but the other one is city building, and then the third one is um, is art initiatives. And we fit under two, and I haven't spent much time talking about our art initiatives. I didn't mean to jump off your question, but um, art, we have a grant from Art Place Americas, and Art Place has granted us $200,000. It's a very larger award for that organization. And so we're going to have our first um, temporary implementations of art in the fall before we ever even build. So we are doing bike rides every month. We have activations at transit stations. University of Miami did art implementations at four stations. We have all three um, proposals for the Miami Space Public Space Challenge were around the underline, not from us. You know, so we now have this really excited um, community that's starting to feel empowered about their voice in the public realm. That would not have happened 10 years ago. What is happening? not just in Miami, but in the world, that we feel like we can start to dictate what our public realm should feel like, right? Yeah, that's very interesting. It is interesting, Absolutely. and it's like, and, and where are those voices going, and how are they being heard? How are we facilitating these big ideas, and how are we really driving that conversation? Well, I, th- I think it's interesting that, you know, that, yeah, you're right, like, these are, these are, citizen-led mm-hmm. <laughs> huge public like uh, public uh, projects and 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 you've already got me like I, in the last couple of days I, I've sort of been racking my brain around my hometown thinking like what could they do with that space yeah. and what could they do with is this something like where, whenever you travel are you just are you just constantly looking around saying like that is a space that could be better used as this. Like I, I feel like as an entrepreneur, you can't. I don't. I find I can't shut it down. I'm constantly thinking like what could what could happen there or here yeah. in, in all sorts of ways. I mean, is that as it has it. Has it shifted your own mentality as you as you walk through the world, you know, critically observing space? Well, yeah. So for anybody in software, if you've ever developed an interface, a user interface, that's what our cities are. They're a user interface between me being on the street and me being next to a building, public or private, and how I interface with that. What does it feel like for me? Is it intuitive? Do I know where to go, right? So I've now started looking at cities like they need to be intuitive. I need, why do we have all these crazy signs that are sort of cluttering up our, our universe? Um, and, and I think that, you know, there's a, I have a couple of theories. One is, you know, the return to the city 
And, you know, because 20 years ago there was a mass exodus, you know, younger generation wants to come back. They want to walk, bike, take transit. They don't want to have to own a car. They don't even want to have to own a home. That was the American dream. Mm-hmm. So, so I have two kids, 30 and 28, and they are fearless. They're not afraid of technology. They've grown up with technology. And I have a belief that that fearlessness in this generation has given them a voice. They don't feel like they have to go through a ladder to ascend to the top. They can start at the top. You know, so I, I think this whole discussion of entrepreneurial spirit, not just in business, but in our cities, is really one and the same. It's funny you're giving your kids credit and they're 30 and I mean clearly you know you're the fearless one at, at, at you're saying like they understand they understand technology they understand they can start at the top yeah. like you know you start at the top and and clearly understand how to how to make things happen so um, you know it's a super exciting project I can't wait to see it uh, it it uh, it develop I I go uh, you know to Miami a couple times a year to see Come family. Visit. I will definitely be knocking on your door, and uh, you know I hope there's like a city bike type program that you're planning. So I'd love to. I don't have a bike in Miami. I'd love to. You know, I'm sure there's got to be, right? You can't have. There is a city bike. It was actually <laughs> city bike just purchased Deco bike down there. Okay. And um, they're a little. It's not city bike, but transit's right. a little slow to implement the bike share at each transit station. But that's coming. But very widespread through the city of Miami, and then that's municipality by municipality. Right. But the the message of empowerment. I think is really important. So it doesn't really matter, like, I didn't know how to, you know, use technology, and then you just sort of, like, you get gritty and you figure it out, and and I think that anyone out there with a good idea, you know, don't be afraid of how big the idea is, don't be afraid of not knowing how to get it done. If it's a good idea, the, ro- the, 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 the light will find you, and you will get to the end game. I'm not sure there's any better place to end with than with that. <laughs> uh, so um, check it out. It's uh, it's is it uh, underline.org? Is it the underline.org. Yeah. And all yeah. of our all of our social media handles are the underline MIA. Okay. So check us out. It's quite the story. It's got a nice uh, got got Meg's great bio on it and the story of how she. The the the, uh, the 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 bike clip that that created a uh, created a, a massive and uh, exciting uh, civic work that could help transform uh, transform Miami, which is what Venture for America is all about. It's all about trying to transform communities through entrepreneurship. And uh, you're, I mean, maybe a little bit older than than our, than our typical fellow, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe you know honorary fellow if we, if we, <laughs> if we may dare say, because you're certainly doing your doing uh, more than your part to, to transform American cities through entrepreneurship. So yeah, thanks so, so much awesome. for being Thank here. Thank you. It's, it's awesome. Glad we make this work. Okay. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.